Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. Hello, everybody. I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. Today's guest is Patrick H. Willems. He is a YouTuber that does a channel by the same name. And I don't know, I guess you could essentially think of it as the same kind of thing I do, only about movies instead of music. I discovered his channel, I think, around late 2016, maybe early 2017. And he was one of the biggest inspirations behind my whole channel. And if you watch his videos, you'll see why. Very similar kind of format. I'm a big fan of his content, but I'm also a big fan of him from a business perspective. Uh, Like we talk about in this interview, he has a ridiculously large number of patrons for a channel his size. And that enables him to be a lot more free from worrying about the YouTube algorithm than a lot of people, like for example, than me. And just in general, I admire anybody that's able to make a living on YouTube without resorting to all the kind of stuff that we know works, the negative crap and the drama and talking shit and all that stuff. He doesn't do any of that stuff, and yet he has still managed to build a super successful channel for himself. It became his full-time job about two years ago or something like that. So I wanted to sit down with him and, as always, do my best to figure out how he did it so you can do it too. If you are interested in supporting the show, there's a few things you can do if you are so inclined. Always appreciated, but never expected. Number one is you can share it on social media. The podcast platforms don't do a great job of surfacing the show, so if you share it, then that really helps us a lot. Second, you can support us on Patreon if you really, really, really love us. It is actually because of the support of patrons that we're able to do the show at all. That is how I was able to hire Deanna Chapman, the producer and editor, who is the brains behind this thing that makes it all go. There's no way that I could do this on my own. And it is because of the patrons that I'm able to pay her to do this. Patrons get every show a week early. There's a members-only private Discord server. There's a way to have me review your music or video or anything else you might want to get my eyes on. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can hit the link to that in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. This is where I put on my podcast voice. Awesome. I I, I don't know if I have a podcast voice. We both have voices made for podcasting. Probably. It, it <laughs> is a thing that I've noticed. I'm not, this, I wouldn't say this is a podcast voice, but... Uh, 
If I even go back and watch like videos I made, I don't know, three years ago, the way I speak on camera has changed completely. It's uh, well, like without me, like really being aware of it at the time, it's just it's just evolved, and I'm I'm sure that goes for pretty much everybody. It's like a weird thing to realize. Changed in what way? I guess it's become more, honestly more like television personality e it's uh like if i go back and and watch things i made it like when i especially when i was just like talking to the camera in like 2016 uh i just sound so sleepy and i don't enunciate enough and uh it it, it just seems kind of lifeless and uh i guess the more you do it the more you kind of like like develop this uh <laughs> on camera persona it's so true. And one of the things I was going to kind of tell you is that your 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 videos now, I'd have to go back and watch some of the old ones, but the stuff you do now really does remind me of a cable TV show that I would have watched when I was a kid in a great way, you know? Thank you. Because that's, that's sort of what YouTube has become now as opposed to, you know, when it was just short, stupid cat videos years ago or teenagers being zany. Now it's kind of like cable TV. It's like public access. Yeah, I mean, I've if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I have a, like a a lot of like un like stupidly strong feelings about like terminology for what we call things we make on the internet and stuff like that. And I've just started, I think probably like this year, just kind of referring to my channel and as a show and my videos as episodes especially because like i've they're now like serialized and there's like a like a running narrative stuff but i'm just like look these are about like half an hour each like e like each time it's not like i'm just you know daily just like dropping a variety of little videos it's like it's basically it's a, a show yeah and, uh, and so that's kind of how I look at it now. Well, I want to get into all that. But first, for anybody who's not familiar, and actually for me, uh, I don't actually know how you got into this in the first place. And, I've, I, and I have watched almost all your videos, I think. And I'm sure you've mentioned this and somehow I just missed it. I, I can tell the short version of this. So yes, I graduated from college in 2010. Um, oh, my God, it's been 10 years. 11 almost don't don't say that like like 10 is enough for me to grapple with but so i graduated with a degree in cinema studies i wanted to make movies and all that kind of thing and there are no jobs waiting for you uh when you have a degree in cinema studies no one is hiring directors so i just moved home worked retail for a year and kind of like strategized about like okay what can be my next move and wh where is home Home is upstate New York, and I'm not like Westchester. That's not like not really upstate. I mean, like Saratoga Springs, New York, four hours north of the city where I currently live. And I should have done this years earlier, but this was the time that I I finally started like looking at YouTube and realizing like, oh, people are doing like filmmaking stuff on there and like making careers for themselves and like getting like way more like like way more people are are watching the stuff they're making than if they than it, the traditional route of like making a short film and submitting it to festivals. And so uh, so then in 2011, um, I launched the YouTube channel. And uh, and then simultaneously, I, I started like doing freelance video work, which was my day job for like five and a half, six years until YouTube finally became profitable. But that was basically it. It was uh, I felt like the two real options I had for how to like 
make some kind of filmmaking career were either move to LA and be like a PA and uh, and not actually make any of my own stuff, but like sort of like work in, in quotes, the industry. With the hopes that some gatekeeper will sprinkle the magic fairy dust of success on you. Exactly. Like maybe one day I'll get the right person coffee and they'll look at my script. And to be clear, so many people have are more successful than me who have done it that route, so there's nothing wrong with that route. But uh, my main thing was I just, I wanted to be making stuff. That, that was always my thing. I would come home from, from college on, like, breaks, and I'd get my friends together, and we'd just make movies. I just wanted to be making stuff. So I decided I would start a YouTube channel and make, like, short films and stuff like that, and hopefully people would see them, and maybe it would, like, lead to like career opportunities and that was really it it was uh and then the, the youtube channel it was all narrative filmmaking stuff for five and a half years i didn't make a video essay until november 2016 and that was really it it was just um i was just like using youtube as a, a way to be able to produce a lot of stuff independently uh like like whatever i wanted and then and and hopefully that stuff might reach some kind of audience what was the first time that you had that feeling of like, oh, shit, this might actually work? I will say I, I got really lucky. Um, not that this like made any money, but the third video I made in 2011, I started I was doing like week I started June 2011. I was doing like weekly videos for a while, I think until like for about a year until like the schedule got a bit fuzzier um but the third video i made it was called film students getting punched it was basically just kind of a montage of like film students saying various like you know like comically pretentious insufferable film student things most of them were like direct quotes that i had like written down i heard people say them when i was like in college and then and then uh this girl played by my friend chloe would just goes around and like punches them all in the face um and that was the third video we made and it it got picked up by some websites. I remember, like, my sister rushing into my my bedroom in the morning, going like, "Patrick, you're on the Huffington Post," which was like at the time. Sure, that that seemed like a big deal. The video got like forty thousand views. It was not like super viral, but when before that, anything I'd made had been seen by at most like one to two hundred. Forty thousand is huge, sure. and so that was immediately the sign. Like, I, I'm like. Because, like, all of my friends were in that video because we needed a lot of people for it. And so we were all, like, talking about, like, oh, my God, like, have you seen the, the comments? People are like, did you see what this person said about, about like, about that person? And, like, suddenly we were, like, freaking out because it was evidence that this could potentially work. And then what about, you know, as far as turning it into your full-time job? That was a, a long road. Because, like I said, I did not make a video essay for five and a half years. And so basically for that five and a half years, the channel did not make money. I lost money making those videos because I would spend money on them. And the thing about it was every so often there would be like an, an individual video that would like do well. Like to date, the most successful thing I've ever made was, uh, it came out in March, 2015. It was uh, the What If Wes Anderson directed X-Men. And, um, and like that video, it, it went viral, 
got a lot of press. I got a copyright claim on it for a song that I used in it. So I didn't even make money off of that video. My most popular video is a copyright claim too. <laughs> yep. It was like, it was a thing. I, I was kind of expecting it because I used like a couple pop songs in it. But I was like, I think this video, it's better. It's so much better with these songs in it that it's worth getting demonetized just like for the quality of the work for the audience building and yeah yeah and so something like that like because my plan my goal was never to make a living off of youtube my goal was to use youtube pretty much the way people use vimeo as like just like a portfolio like i'll make a thing it'll get attention then i'll get hired to go do other stuff someone's gonna say i loved your youtube short uh would you please direct my upcoming film about such and such exactly that probably happens i don't i don't actually know that much about film but uh i would imagine that probably does happen well this was the thing like the wes anderson x-men video suddenly that did well and i was immediately like i had all these meetings with like production companies and producers and stuff like that and and i really thought like it was all happening in 2015 like suddenly like i'm I, I think I've talked about this in other places. Um, I spent a lot of that year developing uh, basically a spinoff series of that video with Vanity Fair. Uh, they they paid me to write a couple scripts for it. And then uh, various things happened behind the scenes there and like the plug got pulled. But that was after spending like seven months like developing the stuff but like that's really what i was going for see this is why i don't like the move to la and schmooze with people model because you're not in control right all it takes is one of those you know someone changing their mind or a budget shifting or someone getting you know fired and then your project goes away through no fault of your own and there's just too many it's like a house of cards and if any one of those cards falls then you know you get left in the cold that's exactly it. And like the the people at those companies, they have like salary jobs. Like they still keep on working. And then I'm just sitting here like alone in my apartment being like, what happened? The rug got pulled out from under me. Yeah, I'm back at square one. And now they won't return my emails anymore. And I have to figure out something else. And so like, it was like that. Like that was the biggest like almost opportunity uh, where it really seemed like stuff was going to happen. But that was the kind of thing I was always going for. Like like make a thing on YouTube that will get attention that will then lead to other jobs. And it was pretty much a fluke that it was like fall 2016. I didn't have any ideas that were as good as the Wes Anderson X-Men. Uh, I, I was like, I don't know what to do now. And so I just took a couple months off from making youtube videos and i just started like watching other stuff on youtube uh and and i i decided to basically have like one to give it one last shot but to approach my strategy a little bit differently because like what i had been doing was i'd make one video every three or four weeks there was no set schedule each one was a giant production where it's like trying to make some like big high concept like viral video and i was like what if i don't do that what if I take like three months and just make weekly videos where a video will come out every Wednesday uh, and go for a consistency, uh, which I hadn't been doing. And uh, and I realized that like if I'm going to do that, I can't make a short film every single week. Uh, I'll have to try different kinds of videos. And um, and so I was like, I was like some that like I, I, maybe some I can just make on my own, maybe some where I like talk about movies and 
2016, talking to other people I know, like other like video essayist friends of mine, that seems like it was a year that like a, like video essays really started like becoming a bigger thing. And um and I was like, oh, look, I have a degree in cinema studies. I've I've written essays about film. I can probably do one of those. And for like four years, I had just been ranting to all my friends about my problems with the color grading in Marvel's movies. And I was like, great. I, I I've already said this thing so many times. I'll just. Oh, was that your first your first video essay? Yeah. Remind me the title of that one. The the title is Why Do Marvel's Movies Look Kind of Ugly? And uh, and so I really just like again I'd been prepping for that video for like four years which is a fantastic title in hindsight i don't know if you went into it knowing that but you know knowing and and i want to talk about titles but thinking about it now i'm like well i'm not surprised that that was such a successful video here's the funny thing about that so i had made that video and um are you familiar with a thing that youtube does called next up i mean there i know the the feature you know in the in the player okay yeah that's probably what they they got it from or maybe i I don't know which came first but next up is a program that they i don't know if they still do it but they did it for several years where it's like they basically you apply to it oh okay i don't know about this okay it's like a program where i think they do one at each of the youtube spaces like around the world so like new york la london stuff like that but um they do it like maybe like once a year and you apply to it and they you have to have i think like less than a hundred thousand subscribers and they pick 15 people that they i guess they deem like have potential to like be successful on the platform and they they bring you to to like for this all expenses paid trip uh where you basically spend a week like being trained in like like just youtube video making you get to like uh you're like put up in a hotel and stuff like that and i mean when i did it in 2016 I was the only local New Yorker, but I was like, I'm still going to take the free. Sure, hotel, why not? Even though I already live in the city. Yeah, but I. Uh, but so it, it's all all this cool stuff. Um, but then they they like you have these like workshops about like titles and thumbnails and planning like uh long term like strategy for the channel and stuff like that. You like so it's like those creator studio videos, but like a in person workshop kind of thing exactly and you're working with you one-on-one there's like guests there and stuff like that uh then they like it's a cool thing and i'm i'm very lucky that i got in because you also you have to like it's like when you apply it's like you have to have released just so many videos and like at least three videos in the last 90 days and i just barely made that because my output was so slow back then but anyway i but i got in and it just happened that I, like, finished that video, like, right before the week started, and so I already had it ready to publish, like, the middle of the week when I was at Next Up, and I think the day before, we'd had a workshop about titles and thumbnails, and about, like, oh, it's good, you know, like, having a question in the title is, like, uh, that's, like, the thing people respond to, and I, and I was just gonna call the video Marvel's Color Grading, and then it was, like, it was so lucky that it was... Like, right in the middle of this. And I had just had this workshop, and I was like, maybe I should give that a catchier title and do what they told me to do. And so then I just, like, changed my thumbnail. So it was, like, this big, like, attention-grabbing, kind of clickbaity thing. And then uh, the video—like, here, to make the rest of this very long story short— the video did really well. I thought no one would watch it because it was a boring technical video about color grading, which I thought no one gave a shit about. I was wrong. 
it did really well. To put this in perspective, it'd take me five and a half years to get to 18,000 subscribers. That's where I was at the time. I think within like a couple weeks, that number had doubled. And so suddenly that started doing really well. And I realized, oh, I should make more of these. Like my, my mistake that I'd made in 2015 was when the Wes Anderson X-Men video uh, blew up. I first did not make another video for a month after that. I just like chilled out and did nothing. And then I didn't make another video like that, like in that series, the What If So-and-So directed this. I didn't make one of those for like four more months when looking back at it now, it's like, oh, I should have had another one ready to go right. immediately to build off of the success of that and have like some momentum. Um, that's why that like the Wes Anderson X-Men did well, but it didn't lead to like any growth for like the channel. Um, and this time I realized, OK, uh, I can't make that mistake again. I need to start making more video essays. And at first it became like I'll make one video essay a month. And then it became more and more and more until it just became the whole channel. The Marvel color grading one, it made like that actually generated like AdSense revenue. Like I, that made money. And then it was it, like I didn't have like a sponsor on the channel until like nine months after that. But it's still like act, like AdSense actually started becoming like kind of real money. So that so it took a full like six years pretty much for the channel to actually become profitable. And then it was about, I would say, like spring 2018 that it kind of became my full-time job. Wow. Okay. That recently. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I think, because I was still doing like freelance video work alongside this as like my main source of income. And then I, I think like, especially for what had been my main client, the last project I did with them was like June 2018. And that's when I was like, I think, I think I need to like, I just need to like, like YouTube is, is like, like doing well enough and generating enough income that I, the opportunity cost is too high. Exactly. And I, uh, and it's not worth the time that, that, that I, I have to like put into like the, the freelance stuff. So that, that was pretty much when I stopped with it. So yeah, it's like, it's like a relatively recent thing and it took many, many years to work. So one thing that I am really impressed by is that you have a lot of patrons. Like you're up to what, 1400 or something now? I think like 1500. Well, yeah, yeah we, we had a goal that was at 1500 and we hit that. Okay. So we're at, we're, we're there. By comparison, I have 300 and our channels have roughly the same number of subscribers. So you have done an amazing job of building this community and like, I mean, that is a shocking number of patrons for a channel your size. So I wonder, what do you think is the key to getting that much support from people to the extent that they want to be your patrons? That's a really good question, because w what you raised there, the, the sort of like, you know, comparison point about like size of audience to like size of of, of Patreon, like it, it's funny, like, like I've seen people, I've, I've seen channels that have like uh, smaller like fewer subscribers than me, but with then like more patrons than me. And so, and I'll, I'll look at this being like, what am I doing wrong? Like, like, how does this work? And, and to be fair, my Patreon is so simple. It's like, I, there's like no rewards pretty much. Like I, I used to mail out physical rewards and it just became like too much to keep up with. I don't think people care about the rewards on Patreon. 
I think they just want to support you. They don't. That that's really the thing. I don't even have time. Like, I wish I could give people early access to videos, but since I'm always behind schedule, can I have it like two hours early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I like I I can't even keep up with that. But I'm not an expert on this doll. I I I do think part of it um comes down to like you know I guess like just like personal investment or or like like some sort of like relationship there, uh like. A thing that, and I'm sure people can point me to evidence that, like, contradicts this, but, like, I'll see, in general, it seems like, and if we're just talking YouTube channels, YouTube channels where the the person is on camera seem to do better on Patreon than channels where, where the person is not on camera, and it's all, and it's just, like, the voiceover, and so I, th- I think, like, the more the, the personality, and, and, like, the more open uh, a person seems the more the more it's like this is me i like it's it's my name i am a person here doing this because people want to support i mean that's why it's called patreon just like the old patron model where rich people would support right. artists you know the entire intent of the platform is to support individual humans doing something that you like and so the more that you put yourself out there as a human and help people get to know you i think it can be the littlest things like maybe somebody is also from saratoga springs and they're like you know what fuck it i'll give this guy five bucks a month i i I think that's totally right and and also one thing that i've noticed is that um i think i when it comes to patreon uh some people can notice it's like the i think the the more the more like elaborate and like high production value my videos became, that also seemed to lead to just like 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 the Patreon like ticking up. I think it's like part of that is just like the audience looking at it and and seeing like oh it seems like our support is actually being put right. to use. It's like I can see those dollars on screen now. Like he's not he's not just using this to like get a cushy apartment and like buy himself nice clothing i think that's so weird when i see people flexing like that who also have a patreon i mean you know i'm I'm not going to tell everyone what they should or shouldn't do but just to me personally if i was a patron i'd be like this guy doesn't need my money right yeah like i never know like here's my theory about or like my philosophy about patreon and this is part of why like my highest tier is four dollars I don't like I don't need anyone to to pledge like 30 bucks a month. The way I look at it is I think everyone who enjoys something should just chip in a buck a month because that like that's what I like I don't want to sound like a like a cheapskate here but like to the, like most of the Patreons that that I I support I, I toss in like like whatever like the sure. lowest tier is just like like a, a buck or two because I think that's all it really requires and that's all it takes and it's like because a dollar is nothing like you'll never miss a dollar you can drop it and never realize anybody right and and if everybody did that like if every even if like obviously with youtube not every subscriber watches every video but like if you even just took the people who like regularly like watch each video and just like, and they each gave a buck a month. That adds up to like an enormous amount. 
And so, like, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm like, that's all I ask of anybody. That's what I do myself. I think that's, like, the best way to make this system work. I wonder, though, so you have a lot of patrons, but because your pledges are so small, it's not enough for you to have total escape velocity from the algorithm. In other words, if, you know, if each of those patrons are paying you 10 bucks a month, you don't give a shit what happens on YouTube. So I wonder, have you considered that about like potentially raising uh, the pledges so that you could have more freedom and not have to do all the stuff that we all hate doing, like, you know, making videos with negative titles just because we know it pleases the algorithm? Honestly, not really. The thing is, I feel like I actually do have a pretty solid, like, like degree of freedom on YouTube. I mean, if like, if you look at like the videos I have made in 2020, uh, there are not a lot of you were not playing to the algorithm on most of those. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really not. It's about like every six months, maybe I, I tackle like what I consider one of the core popular topics: Marvel, Star Wars, that kind of thing. Exactly, but then I also because I'm I I love nothing more than to shoot myself <laughs> in the foot and uh, make life more difficult for myself. I will make a Star Wars video and then declare this is the last Star Wars video I will ever make. So I do stuff like that. But I mean, the way it is right now, like with between you know my income is split pretty solidly between the Patreon and the the sponsors on, on right uh, th- that are on every video. And what I've noticed is even if like I'm in a funny position that's where my audience is for the past like two years has been growing very slowly in the YouTube creator dashboard it tells you like like how many subscribers you've gained in the last 30 days like to like be totally transparent about this I gained like a thousand subscribers in the last 30 days which to a lot of people listening might sound like that's amazing and and if you're just starting out it is but if you have 300,000 subscribers like you do, 1,000 a month is a little slow. It It is. And for the past two years, it has generally averaged between one and 3,000 a month. To put this in perspective, my best month ever was June 2017, where I gained 25,000 subscribers in one month. And so, yeah, so it's growing very slowly. There are not a lot of new people coming in, but it seems like the audience that's there is very invested and loyal and and like they care enough that i mean all my interactions with the audience are are pretty much always like i don't read the comments section but like my interactions with them whether it's like on patreon on uh like on on twitter or anything like that if i whenever i meet people in real life uh back when we could meet people in real life um like they're all like they're a really like nice, chill, like open-minded group of people, and it seems like a lot of them, at this point, are willing to go with me to pretty much whatever topic I want to explore, and they're not only there to hear me talk about like the stuff that they already know really well. Yeah, sometimes I feel like, you know, people request for me to make certain kinds of videos, and I'm like, you know, it sounds like you just want me to make a video telling you facts and trivia that you already knew. That's exactly it. And then sometimes I'm like, why am I so fucking stupid that I don't just make the fucking video? Yep, Th- these are things that I think about a lot. I think, especially when it comes to like a like film YouTube or like media criticism YouTube, what the majority of viewers want from that 
place. And I think this, it's funny because this is, I think it's different on YouTube in like more traditional, like written, like criticism. Um, but what people seem to want is for this person on YouTube to basically just articulate exactly the opinion that they already have. Uh, pretty much then they like, I guess, have evidence for arguments and can just send the video to places uh, to, like, like, like to their, their friends that they disagree right. with to be like, no, here is proof that I am right. The guy on YouTube said so. Right. It, because it's, it's the weird thing that it's like, I, I run into this, like I see people do this with me and I don't see it happen to like traditional film critics who write like, who, you know, who, who write like written reviews on like like various like media publications but it's because they they don't have an interactive audience and like it's just it's got to be old people and like your audience is probably 10 times bigger than even big film critics i'm not even sure but like it it, the thing that i see happen is um people will will hold one single opinion that you once had against you forever and it'll be like you liked this movie and therefore you're not allowed to like this other movie three years later <laughs> right it, it, that's it or or it's like why would i give a shit about what you about what you say about right. anything because you once you, you like you, because you once said this thing about about this it, it's like it's this weird thing where, where it's like um again this is not not really my audience but a lot of people a lot of the the youtube audience uh they seem to like specifically want uh like channels that that voice oh, that share the exact same opinions on everything as, as them yeah and and my thing and i think like what's cool about the audience uh that i've built and and what they seem to be into is just experiencing different perspectives and maybe hearing about about movies that they haven't seen before or maybe hearing a take on uh, a movie that like they may have dismissed but find out about like why maybe it's actually worth considering and and stuff like that and that's what I'm interested in as well but a lot of a lot of like YouTube uh, like film and media audience does not like it does not really feel that way they just want confirmation of their existing opinions exactly it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. A songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snider and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and -and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. 
Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. You have an interesting sort of place, I think, which is what similar to where I try to be of you're not, uh, you know, snooty and, you know, overly navel gazing. You know, you look down your nose at anything popular. On the other hand, you're not a fanboy where, you know, you just gush over whatever the latest thing is because you like the franchise. You you have a, a nice sort of middle ground where you're able to look critically at these things and evaluate them, you know, based on what they're trying to achieve. Uh, and you may or may not like it, but you're able to, I think, have an informed, sophisticated take on things like Michael Bay without falling into either the hater or fanboy sort of trap. And, you know, for sure, you would have a bigger channel if you just made videos like top 10 reasons why Transformers is total garbage and you're a piece of shit human if you like it. Yep. But you have, you know, just like I, I've chosen not to make similar videos, you have two. And I would rather have that smaller but like decent audience than cater to like the worst of humanity. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and it's also a thing where... I think if you make those types of videos, it's all like, you know, obviously like we love seeing numbers go up. It's there's something just like that will always be satisfying about that. But I do think, I mean, actually, this probably isn't the case for a lot of people make those videos and are very successful. So maybe they don't feel this way, but I feel like I would eventually like feel this like emptiness yes. sink in where it's like, like, because like my rule about what I make is I only make videos that I'm excited about. I only cover topics that I'm passionate about and that I really feel like I have something to say there. And so, and that's like when I, you know, earlier this year was like, I, I, I'm no, I'm not going to make a star Wars video again. Part of that w was because I was like, I think I, I, 
I put everything I have to say. Yeah. Like in here. And there's no, and like, sure, it's a topic that gets views, but I don't really, like, unless something com- really radical uh, happens in the Star Wars franchise in the next year or so, uh, I don't anticipate having anything really worthwhile to add to what I've already said. And so I'm just not gonna, you know, force it. And I, I feel like, like my audience would realize if I was just like transparently making a video because it's like, oh, it's a, it's a, like a topical thing, and people want to hear me say something about it. But it's like, like a lot of them, I don't have anything to say about it. I feel exactly the same way, and I actually did phone a video in once. It was in March or really? something of this year, I think. I had a really bad previous month, and I was like, shit. I need to do something to like pull this out of the gutter. And I made a video about Pantera, which I I like Pantera, but I didn't have anything to say about them. So I pretty much just summed up a bunch of facts that everybody already knew. And it was a very popular video. It did great. Of course. But it didn't feel good. It really didn't. And, you know, I I, I always wrestle with myself on that. And I guess, look, we're not working in the coal mines here. I'm not trying to say poor me, but... We're we're in very fortunate positions. Yes. So I want to always be cognizant of that and be very grateful for where we are. But I do always wrestle with that of like, you know, I feel like people just want me to make stuff. I I feel like I would be rewarded for phoning it in, which doesn't feel good. And I I just, I don't have a good resolution for that. Yeah. Well... A thing that I also wonder about, like, you know, if we did phone in those videos and, and, and do, the, do the stuff on, like, the on the big popular topics and uh, make them, like, easy to, di- to digest, didn't say anything too controversial. Um, but I also wonder, like, how devoted the audience would be. Would they right. actually—like, a thing that—I um, I was talking with some, some other creators about this recently— so I had never really looked at this, but we were having a conversation just like comparing our um, – in our analytics, there is like percentage of audience that is scribed. Yeah. And apparently mine is like abnormally high. Do you know what the number is? It's like 63. Yeah, it's super high. I think mine is like 40-something, and I think even that is higher than average. That is high, yeah. A lot of people have like – 20%. That's normal. Where, you know, people find the videos just because they're like recommended, but they don't subscribe. And so like, and, and, and that's normal for YouTube. I care about watch time a lot too. Like my watch time is around 60%, which is yeah. super, super good. And that that's something I'm very proud of. That means that of the people who watched, they actually thought that something I had to say was worth sticking around for 12 fucking minutes, which is an eternity on YouTube. Right. Yeah. No, same here. And, and, and realizing that like, okay, most of my audience are people who are subscribed, who are like familiar with the channel. Like, I think, you know, if I made those videos, they would, they would just be less invested. They would, they would tell that, that I'm less invested. The views would come, but they would come from a different source. And again, it's just, it's a thing I think about constantly about like every couple months, I'll have one day where I'll just panic and just be like just like flooded with like self-doubt and i'll be like am i making all the wrong decisions Uh, am i doing 
like am I approaching YouTube entirely wrong? Am I just like like squandering this potential to have a much bigger audience? Am I like why am I doing this? And then I and usually I'll I'll, I'll like you know post a bunch of uh, tweets about it because I just use like Twitter as like a you know a therapist who doesn't really reply. <laughs> and uh, and then like the next day I'll be like wait no everything is fine Every, everything is okay. It's uh I am I'm like making a good living, uh and I have a like a a like like a really, really good, like devoted audience who will who will be there when I talk about like whatever non-commercial shit I want to talk about. And that's really cool. And so uh, would I love it to like to have like an audience twice as big? Sure. But also like I don't like it's not like things are like desperate sure. where I have to there's nothing to fix. I mean, you, you're you're regularly getting, you know, high five figures or low six figures on anything you publish, which is an amazing place to be. I mean, to know that you can put out anything and at minimum 50,000 people will see that in a couple of weeks is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really pretty good. And I have no reason to like to change anything. I, I, I think. And by the way, I have that same conversation with myself almost every day so uh okay rather than every couple months i do it almost every day so you you're ahead of me on that i mean to, to be fair I, th I, th I think it's probably because i uh only publish like two videos a month so it's like a, it, it's kind of a cycle that comes it's like a slower cycle right right and the thing about this is this is exactly what youtube wants us to think mm -hmm. because look we all when you open the creator dashboard, the first thing you look at is YouTube telling you how your most recent video is com like is performing compared to your previous yep. nine videos. Yep. And when you have like, look, I can tell you like my latest video, it was for a little while, it was in 10th position out of the last 10. So was mine. And I felt horrible. Yeah, it sucks. Mine has now moved up to number seven, which I'm like, okay, that's 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 better. But like, especially because my latest video, it was a part one video. <laughs> so I'm like working on the follow up to what is already like my worst performing video uh, in like, you know, I don't know, several months. Real Like knowing for a fact that part two videos never do as well as the part one video. And so I'm just like, shit, the, 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 like this have i just made giant miscalculations and then it was also the weird thing about like knowing that the entire reason that i'm making this video which is now a two-part video is because of a patreon goal that we hit and so like this is not even a video that i like thought up myself this is a video that like the audience demanded with their dollars that i make so uh, it was a whole roller coaster of emotions. Um, I'm feeling fine about it now. You've heard every YouTuber in the world have conversations about this, about like how it's an emotional roller coaster. And there's a reason for that because it is. And, you know, I, I would yeah. imagine it's kind of, you know, mostly I talk to bands and I think it's kind of similar for them, except they release an album every year or two and go through all this. And, you know, we do stuff every week or a couple weeks or whatever uh and and it's super real i'm almost certain it's quite bad for our mental health in the same way as you know being a roofer for 20 years is gonna destroy your knees but you just sort of shrug and accept like well you know that's uh the the cost of doing business i know it's like 
making the comparison to uh, to bands is good because like what I usually think of is just like okay if I'm obviously like my my goal is still to like direct things that uh you know I don't pay for myself like. <laughs> Movies and stuff like, 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 like I want to d- direct narrative cinema. Let's put it this way. But like, if you direct a movie, like especially if it's like a uh, like a Hollywood film, and you've got an opening weekend. I mean, like in a normal world where people go to the movie theater. But like, the pressure that you must feel, where it's like, okay, so basically this company uh, entrusted me with like, I don't know. 40 million dollars and now like hopefully it makes that money back and makes a profit and it pretty much comes down to this i mean pretty much within like the the first day like by like 5 p.m on friday they know how it's going to do and it's like oh if that loses the studio money then i might not be able to work again Imagine being Christopher Nolan, and it's like, hey, Chris, listen, no pressure, but the entire theater industry is riding on this. Right. Yeah. I, and, and I will say, like, the, the, the thing with Nolan also is apparently Warner Brothers wanted to push it back, but he was like, no, I'm going to save theaters. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, I don't feel bad for him. Yeah. But, like, you know, that, like, uh, I've never been under that much pressure ever. I'm doing this thing on Francis Ford Coppola, a guy who straight up bought a movie studio and then bet all of it on one movie. There's something poetic about the fact that that video is not doing well. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, hey, maybe maybe part two, which I'm not going to put the words part two in the title. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm still figuring out exactly what the title will be, but I'm, I've, I've got a couple ideas. But like... You know, the amount, like that amount of pressure of being like, okay, I have this one passion project and then so, like, I will like be in so deep in debt and so many people will just lose their jobs if this does not make money. And then not only does it not make money, it is like one of the most spectacular failures in the history of the industry. I've never gone through anything like that. I can't complain. Yep. Yeah. Our our little uh, ten out of ten notification is is peanuts compared to that. Yeah. Exactly. I will say, like the the thing that does seem appealing, at least about just you know the 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 more structured, established, like doing this, like like in like in sort of industry way, is uh at least there you have like sort of a support group. Uh, for for me here, it's like I. I'm just like alone in this apartment that I'm like making stuff in, and uh, and it, there isn't like, you know, like a whole like structured team where I'm like, you know, we're all in it together. It's right. like no, it's just me. Like I, I can complain about this to my friends, but th- there isn't really like solidarity there. Do you have any like good friends who are decent sized YouTubers? Now, like watch this. <laughs> like what? Like, how could how could you say that about me? No, I. The thing is, I have I. I have over the past couple of years or so become friends uh, with some YouTubers, but the thing is, we all live so far, like in like different countries or diff- at least on like different coasts, and so a lot of us have never met in person. The the ones that I have, I've maybe met them in person 
like once or twice. And so it's like, you know, we're like friends, but like we mostly just communicate on Twitter. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, like, I would not say any, none of my closest friends are YouTubers. The reason I ask is because I have a couple of friends, one in particular, Brian from Rockfeed, who I uh, collaborate with, or, or I guess use as a sounding board a lot. And it's super helpful because nobody other than a decent sized YouTuber can really give you that kind of feedback on titles and thumbnails and stuff because they have that pattern recognition and it's super valuable. So for anybody out there who, you know, whether you're a YouTuber or anything else, like make friends with somebody who is like at a similar level as you are in whatever it is you do, having that like sounding board, I don't know what I would do without it because otherwise, like you said, it's just me and my wife sitting here and God bless my wife. She gives me very good feedback, but you know, that's not her particular area of expertise. I don't know how anybody can do it. Like you just sitting there by yourself in a vacuum, like, well, here goes nothing. I should say, like, I will sometimes like talk to other YouTubers. Um, like a lot of us are, are have like a Slack that we're in. We'll like talk about stuff like that. And sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm really stuck on this thumbnail. Can you give me some input on this? But but like in general, like even so. To be clear, I don't, I, I don't want to say like, like oh, I, I don't work with anybody. I do everything myself. I do, like, as anyone who's seen my videos knows, there is, like, there is a team there. Um, there's, like, like a uh, like a group of friends that I've been working with for uh, since, like, before the YouTube channel started. But, uh, you know, who do, like, 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 writing and acting and stuff like that. And for, and just very, actually, literally in the past month, so the way it had always gone on the channel was when we were making just like purely narrative short films and stuff like that, and the channel made no money at all, we all worked together really closely and we would all like, you know, like work on on scripts. We like it, it was like a very much a team effort. And then when the the essays started, I would that was just like my thing. Right. I just like did that all on my own. And um and then even I, uh, you know, in the past couple of years as like the sort of the the essay is like gained this narrative component and became kind of like a blend of like essay and short film um, i would still have my like get my friends to help on the videos but only with like the narrative components because i was always like that's the fun stuff the essays which are the part that like make money that's like that's like the hard work boring part i'll do all of that about a month ago, the main core uh, three uh, friends of mine, uh, uh, Matt, Mike, and Jake, who you know are have I've always helped out. They've they've become a, a bit more like officially involved. They do get paid now. It, it's still pretty much for like like the narrative stuff, but it is like a little bit more like they have a bit more responsibility now. They're more like it, it, it's a bit more of a team effort. And I hope this thing. Yeah. And I, I hope it can continue to grow and have them become more involved because there's nothing I would love more than, than for this to get to the point where I can just like straight up like hire like my friends that I love working with and uh and pay them real money well it seems like you kind of got there i mean i don't know financially but like during covid so for anybody listening who's not familiar with the channel you were living in brooklyn before right i mean i i, I still am oh, okay but but like i got stuck at my parents house for five months you yeah you retreated up uh, upstate to your parents house can i can i be totally clear about something yeah because i i felt very guilty not being in new york when 
it was really bad in New York. The reason I was at my parents' house for five months is that I just happened to visit in the middle of March to shoot a video up there. I was supposed to be there for three days, and then I happened to be there right when things started getting bad, and I, and I was like, I'm not going to go back. It probably doesn't seem like traveling is a good idea. Maybe I'll stick around here for a little bit longer, and then what was supposed to be like staying until the end of the week became five months. But so, no disrespect to anyone who did, like, flee, because I totally get it, but I do want to make it clear, like... <laughs> You're not a fucking punk. Not a coward. It was straight up, like, the my weird timing, you know, with um ha- just scheduling a visit. Well, with all of that being said, I think, like, for a lot of people, that ended up being kind of a forcing function for some, you know, creative change, and you sort of moved to more of this almost, like, talk show kind of format that, to me, kind of brings all the different stuff that you've done you know, together into something that, uh, you know, I I feel like that was a real moment, like an inflection point for the channel creatively. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's, that's a really nice way to put it. It was funny. Like a thing I became really fascinated by was just like during this period when we're all like in quarantine and stuff like that, just like looking at how people uh, dealt with that in their creative work. And so, because what I realized right away was that, you know, we, I didn't know how long, I, I thought originally, like when I was there, I, I was like, maybe I'll be back in the city like in a couple weeks and maybe this is going to blow over and we can get back to our regular plans. It'll be over by the middle of April. That's what I said. <laughs> yep. Um, and then when it became clear that that was not going to happen, it just be like, I realized I, I had to like I had to keep making the videos. I had them scheduled already, and I had I had to find some way to to work in this new place. Uh, and I and this is happening after like the videos already have this like narrative component, and like 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 like, like I'm I'm a character mm-hmm. in the videos, and so I'm like, how do we deal with this here? But also because my resources are limited, it's like I'm here in this house in like the woods. The only people here are my parents. You know, there's not a lot to work with. And then it was when I started seeing the way that all of these, like, uh, late-night talk show hosts were, were were kind of pivoting to becoming YouTubers. Really, really bad, like, 2009 YouTubers. Right. And I really enjoyed watching them try to, like, learn how to do this stuff and, like, film things, like, in their homes. And then you had the thing of, like, some celebrities, like my arch nemesis John Krasinski, just, like, starting YouTube shows. And so that kind of gave me the idea, like, okay, we've got these, like, celebrities kind of, like, encroaching on our turf. What if I just tried to beat them at their own game and do a talk show except make it better? And I... And then, and all, and then what? What became like like necessary with that is like, look, you know, uh, because I'm like a, a talk show, I'm, I'm kind of limited to being like I'm here at a desk in front of a backdrop. But like, I'd like the videos to have like some like variety to them and have more stuff going on. So I was like, what if we just like made segments? What if we we really leaned into the talk show idea? What if we had an in-house band? What if I uh, we just had like cold opens and and all this stuff like what if we just took this format and then tried to like stretch it in as as many ways as we could 
and uh and it ended up being this like really fun challenge uh that i think it lasted for exactly the right amount of time because we did 10 episodes of it and by the end of the 10 um i was finally like okay i i don't i don't really have any more ideas for stuff we can do with this like i think i think it's got to end soon so uh but also like we had to like plan far enough ahead because you know when i would return to the city and like trying to figure out when that would be like uh we we had to like be able to plan for like okay cuz the end of the talk show would have to involve me ending the right. talk show and like it's this weird thing where like like my real life and my like fictional youtube life have become like like just like the, so blurred like the line between them it was really really enjoyable and and just like a really fun challenge and and what i loved about it was like i am someone who has always been terrible at delegating I am a control freak, and with this, just by the way we were shooting it, I had to relinquish some control, and um, and like like my my friends and collaborators would shoot stuff on their own and send me the footage to edit, and so I just had to I would give them guidelines for like here's a shot list, uh, here's how I want you to frame the shots and stuff like that, be looking in this direction of the camera. But um, and then I just kind of sat back and I I would get this footage like pouring into like my Google Drive and I would look at it and be like oh my god this is so much better than I thought it would be like like finally like at this point in my life I'm like maybe it's good to like let other people do some stuff what an idea give them like a like a longer leash to uh to do their own thing and so it worked out so well that, that yeah that was really like a moment where I was like I want to like just get them like more like officially involved and, so, and not just like my friends helping me out, but actually sure. like a, a real part of the team. Cool. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got a video to finish, so uh, I will let you go, but is there anything you wanted to add or plug or uh, any parting words of wisdom for the folks out there who might be listening? Oh man, that, that, that's a big question. I mean, the things to, to plug it, it's what we've been talking about the whole time the youtube channel patrick h willems it's there it's easy to find i'm the only patrick h willems uh you don't need to use the you don't need to use the h it's there in parentheses because like it's optional uh the url patrick willems was taken my dad spells his name j-o-n he says you can keep the h yes that that that's a good uh, i might have Go to steal that but like parting words of wisdom i mean look if you were if you're trying to get into the youtube game uh, I realize we've spent a lot of time talking about how like we don't like doing what's popular and we don't like doing like what you know what people and we sound like such assholes. I know, but the one thing that I think is the most important, while like I I hope everyone becomes successful, unless unless you are an asshole, and in which case I don't <laughs> want you to be successful, is just like genuinely like make the videos that you would want to watch if you can find a way to to cover a popular thing. Um, in a way that you're excited about and feel strongly about, then do it. But I think the audience can can tell the difference between making something because you think it'll get views and making something because you like really care about it and want to make it. And um, and I think the latter is really matters. And um, look, it, doing that has has given us careers here. So we're living proof that it works. There you go. Cool. Well, thank you so much, and uh, good luck with the rest of the video. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's get into some Q&A. 
I love the entrepreneurial slash marketing approach that you take to analyze topics in your videos. There are several channels on YouTube that do the same about music marketing or music production. And most of the time, those channels are selling products such as online lessons. You don't sell anything for now. Do you plan to go one step further and create paid for lessons about marketing? Do you plan to write a book or none of that because you're fine with sharing your time between YouTube and your other job? Well, never say never. I don't currently have any plans to do anything like that. I have done some marketing kind of courses before, but here's the thing. I have very high standards for this because I have spent the last eight years or so of my life working in online education at Creative Live and now at URM Academy. So I have very, very high standards for this. I care a lot about it. And the thing I would never, ever want to do is just put out some kind of cheap, shitty course just to try to make a little bit of money. You've seen a lot of these, like in, in every time, like you, you buy it and you may like the person a lot, but you buy the course and then you log in and kind of like, oh, cool, let's see what this is all about. And it's like obvious that they didn't put very much effort into it or maybe they did, but it's just not good. You know, if I'm gonna do something like that, I wanna make sure that I do it right. And one big part of that is that I would want it to be something that people who work in the industry respect. You know, there's nothing that bums me out more than thinking that, you know, what if I made something like this and people who work in marketing look at it and just kind of roll their eyes and they're like, what is this? The respect of my peers matters a lot. So again, just it's just something that if I ever do it, I want to make sure that I do it well. As far as writing a book, uh, yes, I would like to do that. The question that I would need to answer for myself and I guess for the world before I ever write a book is like, what will writing a book do for me that YouTube doesn't? Because you know, if a book sold 10,000 copies, that would be really good. And obviously on YouTube or this podcast, I can get more than 10,000 people to listen to me talk about other stuff. So. I don't need a book to grow my audience. So the question would be like, what will it actually accomplish? And the kind of working idea for a book that I have in my head would be some kind of a combination between uh, 12 Rules for Life and Tools of Titans. But, you know, for people from the alternative music world scene, whatever. So Tools of Titans is a book where Tim Ferriss interviewed a couple hundred people or a hundred people, something like that. These like, you know, business leaders and athletes and just achievers of all kinds and ask them a lot of questions about habits and routines. What do you eat for breakfast? Stuff like that, which I think his questions are kind of lame, but whatever. The point is he asked them all a common set of questions so that you can read through all that and go, oh, looks like everyone gets up earlier. Whatever it is, the idea is that you would read that and learn something that you can apply to your own life. Uh, 12 Rules for Life by uh, Jordan Peterson, who I don't just to be clear, I don't necessarily love everything he has to say, or I'm not a huge fan of him in general, but I do like the idea of the book. So if I was going to do a book, I think it would be something along those lines. It wouldn't be about music specifically, It'd be more about business and life and personal development for people from our world, I think. And so the question would be like, so what, what for, like, what would that do for me? And that's the question that I don't have an answer to yet. But if I can answer that question, then I will do it. But for now, yeah, I'm totally fine sharing time between YouTube and my other job. I have my hands more than full. From Polescene on Twitter, what's your workout routine? 
Well, first of all, I would not position myself as any sort of like expert in this stuff by any means. I mean, I, I definitely think that uh, I know my way around a gym and, you know, at one point I lost like 50 pounds in less than a year or so. I definitely know what I'm doing here, but I'm not any sort of like authority on this stuff. I just know what works for me. I don't really give advice to other people on this. Uh, but with that said, what I've found works for me, uh, I used to run and lift weights all the time, like, you know, five days a week for like an hour and a half or whatever. And that totally worked. That's how I lost a bunch of weight. I was also doing MMA then. So I was training real hard, like MMA six days a week, lifting several days a week on top of that running, like, you know, it's no wonder that the weight fell off real fast. I also learned how to eat then. Uh, and again, I'm not saying this is what everyone should do or shouldn't do or anything like that, but uh, I learned how to eat then from a bunch of MMA fighters that were wrestlers. And, you know, one of the things that MMA fighters and wrestlers both have to do is manage their weight very carefully. So, you know, there's weight classes. You got to make sure that you never go over 155 or whatever, uh, or the fight's off. So they're very good at managing their weight. I learned, you know, they're basically like, well, number one, you got to get over the idea of enjoying your food. <laughs> so I ate a lot of like broccoli and chicken breasts and stuff like that. And fortunately, I don't really care about the taste of food. So that wasn't a big deal for me these days. And then after that, I stopped doing MMA and was just running and lifting for a while. And I enjoyed that. But now I just I fucking hate it. Um, I, I still do it, but I just don't. I, enjoy, I used to enjoy going to the gym and lifting and running and stuff, and I don't anymore. So mostly what I do now is uh, jujitsu. So you know, with COVID, it's kind of been all over the place, but I try to go four days a week for one to three hours. Uh, and then I also do some running and lifting on top of that, uh, depending on just kind of how things work out. But, you know, that's what works for me. I don't care about being some kind of like, you know, I'm not trying to be a fitness model, but I have been working out very consistently for about 20 years now, and I very rarely get sick. I never get injured. You know, my uh, my if I go to the doctor, all my vitals are in a good spot. So that's what works for me. I think it's just, you know, like most things, it's just about consistency. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.